Good morning, Oikos. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online. We are glad that you're with us, whether you are far, far, far away or you just happen to be at your home. We are glad you're here, and I am also glad that we're all here together. It's good to be together, right? right. Awesome. As we continue, we're in 2 Thessalonians, so we're really going through these epistles pretty quickly. If you're reading along in the reading plan, you'll see that it's not as quick as it seems each Sunday because we actually are reading through the entire epistle all through the week. So even though it seems like, man, we're in 1 Thessalonians, now we're in 2, then we're going to just keep on going through these epistles and it's going to be like rapid fire. If you join the reading plan, it won't seem as rapid. So there's an invitation to get on the reading plan. It's encouraging, I think, each day. Even if you only read a sentence of God's word, there's encouragement in that sentence because there's power behind it. And that's one of the things that we're going to see in this letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians. In fact, we know that the church in Thessalonica was made up of a bunch of house churches, a lot of oikoses. Not what we experience here, but more like our missional communities who then gather here, right? So it was made up in that kind of sense. A lot of home churches, Paul would write a letter and he'd send it out and it'd be passed from one church to the next. So in our context, it would be, first it would start at the big story MC and then it would go to homebrew and it would just keep on going to each MC. I don't want to put myself in Paul's shoes because I'm far, far from it, but it'd be a letter from me and you'd have to read it. You'd have to read it at your MC and go, ah. Oh, Aaron just either really encouraged us or he just slapped us down. But he's wanting us to follow Jesus. So Paul writes to these believers in this area of Europe. And this is probably before he even gets a response from the first letter that he wrote. He probably heard some more discouraging news after he sent the first letter and so he immediately started pinning this letter, realizing that there was something going on within the community that wasn't right. So he decided to talk to them a little bit more about what does the end times look like? What does it look like for Christ to come? Has the day already arrived? Is it separate from that time and the time that Christ actually comes? Is there some in-between time that we're living in? They were confused, and so he writes this letter. He starts it out by identifying that he recognizes that they're hurting because they're under severe persecution. He identifies with that hurt, and he begins to encourage them. He starts in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 7. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with severe destruction, eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. This is kind of just a little insert as we pause for a second. 
maybe it's different for you this morning, but this morning for me, as we got to sing and be led by the band, I was just thinking for a moment, especially when Ashley was singing, I guess Jason was singing too, and so was Ian. But as Ashley was leading us, that he is endless, I was thinking, man, this is so awesome. What will the music be like in heaven? This is so awesome. What does God have planned for us when we praise him in heaven? And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. The words I want to focus on is that, and God will provide rest. There's something about being persecuted that you need to be reminded that God will provide rest. There's something about oppression when you are oppressed that you need to be reminded that God will provide rest. Maybe you're in a family who doesn't really believe. Maybe the one solo person that believes. So every family function you go to, Jesus is joked about. You're made fun of. Maybe not directly, but it's just kind of known. You're the crazy Christian. You're the one that goes to church and wastes your Sunday. So every family function, you feel oppressed. God gives you a taste of rest by providing a space like this and saying, retreat from your family, the family that I placed you in, and remember that I've adopted you into a new family, a family that won't oppress you, a family that will rejoice with you. Maybe you have a terminal disease. You know you don't have much time. You don't know how much, but you haven't felt good for a while. You've been sick and unable to do the things that you've wanted to do. You've been unable to work in your garden, or you've been unable to take that walk with your dog, or you've been unable to clean your house. You've been unable to care for your kids, or unable to do the things that lets your husband know that you love him. You've been sick. Sometimes there's a thing called kind of like a second wind in a terminal illness. It's usually towards the end of your life that all of a sudden, maybe they stop the treatment that's been making you sick. And you get this, this breath, kind of rejuvenation for a moment. And maybe you can have those conversations that you haven't been able to have before. Or maybe you're able to get up, actually, and walk around. Or maybe you're able to go do the one thing that you really wanted to do. In that moment, God gives you a little peace. 
of his kingdom. Perhaps you've lived with chronic pain. But on one certain day, for one certain hour, the pain subsides. And all of a sudden, you get to rest. Or perhaps you have a horrible relationship with your ex-wife. And a conversation that you thought would go down the toilet was actually very pleasant. You're given rest. God will provide rest. But we won't get to see it fully until Christ comes again. And that sounds so, you know, like, how can we even understand what that means? How can we understand that when Christ comes, he will actually give us rest? I'm actually thinking that in the first few moments when he comes, I mean, think about the thing that's kind of bothering you right now. Whatever. I mean, we all have something that's kind of bothering us. Even if you're fine. And I'm normally very fine and very well. I still have stuff that kind of bothers me. Maybe it's been revealed, maybe it hasn't been revealed, but it's in there. The moment that he comes, that's going to be gone. And that for a few moments, you'll be thinking, is this for sure? You mean this won't come back again? You mean that chronic pain is really, really, really gone? You mean my relationship troubles are fixed? I mean, wouldn't you love to do that with someone that you have issues with? Just go, it's fixed. Right? There's peace. We got joy. I like seeing you. Complete restoration is, I think, really hard for us to understand. It's definitely difficult for us to put it into our mind's eye and say, I know what that's going to look like. But the Lord gives us glimpses. Some of you know that we renovated our house. And Sarah had a view in her mind that we would go through this process at the time we were living with the Schmitz. And the process would go on and she might even withdraw a little bit at the end so that when the big reveal, you know, with HGTV would come... You know, when they've got everything perfect and all the furniture is new and placed in the exact right spot and pictures are already hung on the wall and all the walls are painted and you, you stand out and you open the front door and maybe you have tears and the music plays and it's joyful <laughs> and you walk in, you have the big reveal. Well, we didn't have that. <laughs> Our music was like horror music that then later changed to some depressing music from a foreign film. And we looked and we said, really? Really? I think at the time we had a one-bathroom house 
And the plan was to have a three-bathroom house. And when we moved back in, we had a one-bathroom house. The big reveal just didn't quite make it. It was kind of disappointing. We're thankful today that we do have three bathrooms. And we're thankful today that we continue to restore. And one of the lessons the Lord has told me is that the big reveal will never be revealed until I come. We're going to continually have things we've got to work on our house. In fact, I just talked to Oscar here because on a brand new house, guess what? We've got some rotten wood. I'm so excited about that that we're going to have to restore it, replace it, renew it continually. It's kind of like our lives. For the Thessalonians, they had received salvation from Paul. And if you can think about the oppression they were under before they received it, it was because they were living by the law. Every wrong thing they did was a mark against them. And all of a sudden, a guy who had previously oppressed those who believe in Jesus had now told them, you are free. Christ has fulfilled everything for you. Just believe in him. And in a few weeks, the Judaizers had come in and said, not quite. You're not quite there. Or you're absolutely wrong. And persecution began to pull in. Perhaps it was by circulating false letters and pinning them by Paul's name. In fact, at the end of Thessalonians, we see that Paul says clearly, I wrote this letter by my own hand. And oftentimes that would occur because there were other false letters going around. And Paul cared deeply for them. He wanted to make sure that they knew that believing that Jesus died and rose again was all they needed. But when people disagree with you, they do horrible things. At least some people. When people see you as different, they choose to do some horrible things. Unthinkable things. And in Thessalonia, Thessalonica, the Thessalonians were being persecuted. Some of them probably were losing their jobs because they now believed in Jesus and they had no way to prepare or provide for their family. Some of them probably were beaten because they believed in Jesus. Some of them perhaps were killed. what some people do when they disagree with you. They decide to oppress, beat, or scourge or shame you so that you'll think a different way. So Paul says to them in chapter 2, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. See, the thing about faith in Jesus is that stuff in life still happens. You still get punches 
you still get hit with life. This world is not perfect. But we hope for something that is better. As we hope for that thing that's better, we pray that, Lord, please give us a glimpse and give us rest as we get punched. Hebrews says it this way, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But those punches still come, even as we have faith. Our chronic illness reappears. Our ex-husband is crazy again. Our friend is no longer a friend. I think the psalmist says it well. Psalm 13. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice in my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. How long, O Lord? It's a great statement, right? How long, O Lord, when we look at the events that have happened in our country and across the world? How long, O Lord, will we continue to see racist groups incite violence and violence returned and violence back and violence back and forth and forth until people continue to be killed and hated upon. How long, O oh Lord, will we see this? I think it's easy to condemn a practice when it's those you do not know. It's a lot harder when you see them face to face. It's a lot harder when the person who is a racist is in your own family. It's harder when the person who is a racist is one of your friends. And they say things kind of, they just throw it out there. And you just kind of turn around and say, I don't want to really address that because it may wreck my relationship. How long, oh Lord, will we continue to see terrorists mow people over with vans because they believe something different or because they live in fear? How long will we see people just kill someone because they look different? Because they're from a different country. Because we don't agree with them. How long, O oh Lord, will people use violence to show their strength? Because Jesus was born to bring peace. 
And yet often our response is war. How long, O Lord, will people see others through the lens of fear and superiority? Because the Bible says, humble yourselves. And don't think of someone or don't think of yourself better than others. How long, O Lord, will we spit at what you say and do whatever the hell we want? How long, O Lord, will we choose hate instead of love? Because it makes us feel better, or at least we think so. And the question when you are the one oppressed may be, will it ever be made right? Well, Paul tells the Thessalonians that God will rebalance the scales. Absolutely. That his justice does come. That he will make the wrongs right. Even if you think you're right or you're wrong is really right, he will show you that you're not so right. And it will remind you that you live in his family. No one else's. He will bring peace and he will bring justice. He says in chapter 2, verse 3 and 9 through 12, So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love. Because they refuse to love. Because they refuse to love and accept the truth. And accept the truth that would save them. Then they'll be condemned for enjoying, boy, isn't this what we've been seeing? Oh my gosh. They will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. When I look over this past week, what I see is a lot of people enjoying evil and saying, to hell with you, Jesus. We don't have to love because that person did something to me and so I get to do something right back. Your words mean nothing to me, Jesus. And if someone slaps me, I'm going to slap them right back. This is not who we are. And it's not who I want to become. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawless, lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. Hell is real, people. Hell is not some fantasy land that we've created to make you scared so that you'll give money to the church. It just really isn't. Now, maybe back in the day, they would have you give money so that you wouldn't go to hell, but that's when everyone believed in hell. Hell is real. It is the absence of God. 
all those things that I talked about before where God would give you rest, there is no rest in hell. There's no relief or breath from oppression. There is no freedom. It's real. And the big reveal for those who go to hell is destruction, ultimate persecution, a heaviness that can't get off you, burdens that never leave. It's real. Now, I want you to think about people in your family who don't believe. Friends who don't believe. And we often just want to not talk about what's real, do we? We don't want to talk about what's real because, gosh, that sounds like fire and brimstone. But what we neglect then to do is to talk about what's also real, and that's Jesus. So we just evade the whole subject entirely. We talk about football. We talk about the Astros. Or we talk about our food. And we take a picture of it and put it out on Facebook. Or we talk about the weather. Man, I talked to a guy about the weather all morning yesterday. I wanted to talk about other things, but he wanted to talk about the weather. I enjoy the weather. But I'd rather talk about Jesus. I wonder if we thought a little bit more about what hell is like, if it would build a little more compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Paul gives a message of encouragement. Starting in verse 13 in chapter 2. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you. Dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, we are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation, a salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy and through your belief in the truth. He called you to a salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in that glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can share in that glory. With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we pass to you, both in person and by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Continue to do good, even in the face of evil. There are great examples throughout history of people who continue to do good, even in the face of evil. They didn't repay evil back with evil. They faced it with good. So in these evil days, we don't repay evil with evil. We repay it back with good. We stand firm in what God has taught us. We stand firm in our identity as his children. Children who should bring peace, joy, happiness, love. Right? Right? We get to share in his glory. 
We get to share in his glory. Take that one little thing. The son of the living God, who by his own will came into the flesh, a sinful world for us, died for us, rose again. The glory is like crazy. Paul says we get to share in that. We get to share in that because we couldn't really do it ourselves. We get to share in that because we actually ruined everything to receive it. Right? Our life has been about ruining, not about craving. We get to share in that because we sometimes think, or maybe all the times think, that we're worth more than other people. We still get to share in his glory. We get to share in his glory because we think we don't need Jesus or even want him. Sometimes, if we're honest, right? Especially when you want something more than Jesus. You go, ah, I'll take you later, Jesus. Right now I want this. But Jesus says, you're my son, and you get to share my glory. Even though you're like this. Because I know there's a future for you that looks different. We get to share in his glory. Even the thief on the cross got to share in his glory. He looked at Jesus, and Jesus looked back, and he said, you'll get to share in my glory. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Even our brother, sister, mother, friend, co-worker, who hasn't believed in Jesus all their life, has done horrible things as far as our moral standard. But in the last moment turns and says, Jesus, I repent. I believe. That person gets to share in his glory. Think of the worst person you know right now. Just think of that person. I know we shouldn't think of bad things because we should think of good things. But just think of the bad thing. Just humor me for a second. Think of that worst person, the person that you cannot stand, that person that you would actually call evil. Stop thinking about me. Think of the person that is the worst person in the world for you right now. If they repent and turn to Jesus, that person gets to share in the glory. Mm-hmm. Right? Even if they're not nice to you. If they repent, they get to share in the glory. Think of the cop killer, the child murderer or child molester. They repent. What do they get to share in? His glory. Even the white supremacist who returns or turns and repents and believes, even that neo-Nazi guy who wants to hate people, even that terrorist that wants to kill because 
We don't believe in the same God. They turn and repent and turn to Jesus. Guess what? They share in the glory. So does that mean that heaven will rejoice? All of heaven. For that murderer who turns and repents. All of heaven will rejoice for that person that you cannot stand as they turn and repent. All of heaven will rejoice as much as they rejoice for Jesus when he rose from the dead for you. Right? In fact, Jesus says it in Luke 15, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. We come here today because we know that we need Jesus. We're not better than anyone that we saw on TV this week. And the sooner we can get that in our head, the more we realize we need Jesus. I'm no better than the person that spewed out hatred towards people. I am no better than the person who shot down a clerk in the gas station this week. I am no better. I am the same standing. The only thing that changes is that I have said, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me and put me on a new path towards you. I hope that that would be the same for any of those that we think are too far gone. Paul ends by encouraging the people. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God, the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Sometimes you think that pastors, and I've heard this before, that Aaron and Sarah, the Lytles, they don't have any problems. They're just fine. They're good. They're just this family that doesn't have to face anything. Their life is so perfect. Sarah and Aaron never fight. They always look so happy. Their children could be admitted into any school with no behavior, dis, you know, disappointments. No one has anything wrong with us. We're never in the hospital. I will tell you that a lot of that is true. But there's parts that are not. We are thankful. We have been blessed by the Lord. We have been protected by the Lord. I don't know how many times we've left our door open at night. Wide open. Sometimes the wind blew it open. The Lord has protected us. The things that we've faced, many times I don't talk about those things because I don't want to be heard as a complainer. And I'd rather just complain to the Lord. But I'll tell you, I've complained to the Lord. I've said, what's up with this? I said, how long, oh Lord, are you going to make me do this? And why did you make this happen? 
how come you don't love me like you love Kenneth? Right? And I complain to him, and I say, this isn't fair, and how come Sarah and I are, why didn't we choose different careers? Why didn't we choose some career that pays you like a bunch of money? I complain. But I know that in my oppression, whatever it may be, which I think is pretty minimal, really, it's pretty minimal. The Lord has protected us. And I give thanks for that. The Lord has taught us to breathe in his peace. So maybe the situations that we face, we have a different perspective. That it's not bringing destruction. Because we're not on that side. We're on the side of Jesus. And Jesus, when we are on his side, there's peace. You may not be able to see it, but I have faith in the unseen. That even if today is completely crappy, I can stop and at the end of the day say, the Lord is still in it. The Lord still has his hands on this world. The Lord is in with those who've been oppressed. The Lord is in it. And he is winning. And he is giving me peace. So that I can stand up here and say, may the peace of the Lord be on you all. And my hope is that you'll believe it. And that you'll look for it. Because life happens. And you will be punched. And what we need to do is stand firmly in the peace of God so that we can give love so we can respond in love and not hate. So that we can have a conversation with someone who is hating. And maybe remind them that there's a different way. Or tell them for the first time. Maybe we can even build compassion in our heart for those who hate, realizing that maybe they haven't experienced love yet. Perhaps the Lord put me in their path to do that. Because I believe when you listen to Jesus, there is peace. And I also believe that hell will not prevail. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this time to look at 2 Thessalonians. And though we cannot comprehend what it will be like or how it's going to all come together when you do come again what complete peace looks like in our hearts, what resting in you looks like, what worship will look like. We know that you are a generous God and that you do give us glimpses. So may we give thanks and may our hearts become thankful for the many glimpses of your kingdom that you give us. And for those who are oppressed and persecuted, and brought down day after day after day, Lord, remind us that we have a responsibility. When we receive peace, Lord, when we've received protection, when we have received you, 
we have a responsibility to those who have not. When injustice is occurring, Lord, we have a responsibility, those of us who have received justice, to speak up for those who are receiving injustice. When we receive a huge amount of money or funds or resources, we have a responsibility not to use it for ourselves, but for others. You watch over us so that we can be your ambassadors of those who watch over others, so that we can be our brother's keeper. Lord, we thank you that you speak life into us, and I thank you for those who are assembled here today who say Jesus is Lord. He is my Lord who came and saved me, and I am his brother. I am in his family. May you gently rest upon our hearts our responsibility to go out into the world and bring your justice and your peace through your spirit's power. Amen.